Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio. Just a warning before we start that this episode contains some fairly explicit sexual language. So if you have little humans around, you might want to tell them to go away. He was having this affair with a woman and he was having sex with her multiple times a week and she was in a sexless marriage and he felt he was in a sexless marriage and so she was trying to get him to divorce me and marry her and she was saying to him you should be getting sex twice a day so he was going into the therapist and saying i need sex twice a day and at that time i was about 40 and i felt when a guy hits 40 he starts to feel like he's really maybe only got 10 or 20 years of having good sex. A lot of guys think this. Turns out that part is not true, actually. You actually can have it much, much longer. But at the time, I kind of felt like, "Uh uh-oh, I've got a, this is a use-or-lose-it sort of situation, and I'm not using it, and I don't have a limited window. So I was feeling a lot of pressure. And so a lot of times when people vilify cheating, He's a cheater, you know, she's a cheater. It's like this horrible thing. But in reality, it's a coping mechanism for so many people, a coping mechanism for people who simply don't know what else they can do. Tim and Susan Bratton are a pair of married sex and intimacy experts. They've helped thousands of couples around the world improve not only their sex lives, but their intimacy, which is different. They've saved countless marriages. But Susan and Tim, who you just heard above, have been through it themselves. Through it, my friends. And I remember, I was so surprised at how much shame I felt when I realized my husband had been having an affair to cope with me not wanting to have sex with him. And so I was very conflicted because... I was pissed at him, but I didn't want to lose him, and I loved him, and I felt like a failure. I started my interview with Tim and Susan thinking this would be, like, fairly straightforward. It would be about what it's like for two people who are complete experts about sex to be married to each other. Namely, do they have the greatest sex life of all time? Or just the opposite, because when sex is your job, like... When being a chef is your job, you don't want to cook for people. So maybe when sex is your job, you don't want to do the sex with your partner. 
But then my expectations of how this interview was going to go were completely and totally blown apart. Blown away. At every turn in this conversation, I'm like, what just happened? See, Tim and Susan found their own path to being sex and intimacy experts because their own marriage was falling apart. Tim was cheating on Susan with countless women, and Susan had gotten to the point that I think a lot of women get to in middle age after they become mothers, where they just don't want to do it at all. And Susan had a very interesting perspective on Tim's cheating. In retrospect, I think it was a really good coping mechanism because it allowed him to stay married. He loved me. He didn't want to leave me. He just wanted me to want him. They dove in headfirst to solve this problem, to save their marriage and their sex life. And the result is just, again, wow. I'm not going to spoil anything for you right now. I'm going to say this again because it's very important. You do not want to listen to this episode with the little people around. Today, Tim and Susan are one of the most sexually open couples that I've ever met. And they also seem to be incredibly happy and incredibly in love with each other. I'm in a perfect relationship with my partner now. We're definitely going to dissect what that means. Promise you. I'm Joe Piazza. I'm 100% not in a perfect relationship. And this is Committed. Tim and Susan met at a trade show in California way back in 1991. The two of them were both still working in tech. This was in the beginning of the beginning of the golden age of tech. Tim had just started a very successful company in Silicon Valley, and he did not have a date for his very own Christmas party, which felt a little bit pathetic. And this gorgeous woman was walking down the aisle just right straight at us and sat down right at our table. She was tall, she had long legs, an incredibly short skirt, and I was just smitten. So smitten that I couldn't even, maybe I said hello or something, but she was talking (laughs) to one of the women in our company. So Tim asked his employee for Susan's number. I don't know if that would be allowed today. And then he called Susan right when he got back to the office. He didn't ask her to the company Christmas party, not just yet, because that would have been weird, but he did ask her to go out to lunch. I was being vetted. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I have to say, my skirt was so short. It was fantastic. It was, what what year was it? 91. And that was the era of Allie McBeal. And I don't know if you remember Allie McBeal, but that whole show, everyone wore ridiculously short skirts. So much leg, so much upper thigh in that. Yes. So much upper thigh. And I've got super long thighs because I'm, I'm, I'm almost six feet tall. So there, I really appreciate that Allie McBeal was probably the reason why I met this amazing man. Yeah. So I, I owe it all to Allie. <laughs> I thought the lunch went great because I was a geeky engineer and Susan just completely carried the conversation. <laughs> I later learned that 
it didn't really go that well, but I asked her for the company Christmas party and she said yes, I think maybe because she felt sorry for me that I didn't have a date for the Christmas party of my own company. Yeah, I hadn't fallen in love with him then. It was kind of a mercy date. I was just throwing the guy a bone, if you will, because <laughs> I had been, I had just moved to the Silicon Valley and I had said to my friends, fix me up with everybody. So I was serially dating many people. I just would go on date after date after date. So it wasn't until I saw at the company Christmas party how reverential people were to Tim as a very young man, as a very young entrepreneur running a startup, CEO of a startup, just how everybody was so kind to him. And he got my door and he held my hand. And I thought, what a quality man. So that's how we met. Listeners, they got engaged within four months of meeting. We were engaged probably in May. We bought a house together in July. And then we would have gotten married, but we wanted to wait for the church to be available. And it wasn't available until the next June. So we got married in June of 93. They got married. They got pregnant. They both continued on in their very fancy tech careers. And they were both very successful. We were a power couple. We had a beautiful daughter. But things started going south for us. About seven years into our relationship, everything looked good on the outside, but wasn't so good on the inside. We, when we first got together, we were very intimate. The lovemaking was fantastic. And it started to wane over time. And uh, after our daughter was born, it waned even more. And so at that point, about... Yeah, it was seven years in, roughly, when everything was going great in our other aspects of our relationship. They say that for couples, one of the big places where you have arguments is about money, and another is about sex. And we were fine financially, but sexually, we were not doing so well. And I didn't understand it, because I, I thought it was fantastic. I always thought we had great sex. But... Susan wasn't enjoying it so much. She was kind of soldiering on, and we got to the point where I was trying things like the begging, borrowing, honeydews, you know, I'll, I'll trade this for that, and then maybe we could have sex, and it got to the point where she would just relent or just give up and then give me sex every couple of weeks because I was so miserable and complaining all the time. I was doing all the wrong things, like all the things that a husband should not do who wants to have sex with his wife, I was doing all those things. What are the wrong things, says someone who has two children under the age of five, and you know, just asking for a friend, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out that the husband actually, I, I, well, one of the things I did was I was blaming her for not having any libido. I was thinking that it was a problem with her and at one point, <laughs> I even thought that maybe she was secretly a lesbian, and that was why she didn't want to have sex with me anymore. So, uh, you know, guys will come up with all kinds of reasons. Yeah. Egoic which... gymnastics, I call that. <laughs> all, all of which have nothing to do with them, right? Yeah. It's not me. Yeah. It's, it's her, obviously, yeah. because yeah. I want to have sex and she doesn't want to have sex, so something's wrong with her. So, yeah, the things you do wrong are begging, 
Getting mad. Getting mad. Playing the victim. Right. Guilt. Yes. Guilt. Withholding right. affection. That, that's a bad one. Checking yep. out then, emotionally. That, and then that's... No more romance. That's when it starts to get worse. Mm-hmm. When I was interviewing Tim and Susan, I kept thinking that we have done hundreds of committed interviews at this point. And to date, Tim and Susan are one of the most open couples that I have ever talked to about their sex lives, which makes sense given their jobs. But in a way, it made me feel a little bit nervous. It even made me feel like a little bit of a prude. And I'm a person who talks about relationships and sex all the time. Still, I totally respect and admire their candor. The next thing the two of them decided to do was start marriage therapy. It was our 11th wedding anniversary, and we had a couple of gin martinis, and I said, I love you, but I'm not in love with you anymore. What are we going to do about all this? This is not going well. And we contemplated, should we get divorced? We saw all our friends getting divorced. They were dropping like flies. So we knew we weren't alone, but we wanted to fight for our marriage because ultimately, we had all the good raw materials. We just had problems in our sex life. Yeah. And at that time, I was about 40, and I felt when a guy hits 40, he starts to feel like he's really maybe only got 10 or 20 years of having good sex. A lot of guys think this. Turns out that part is not true, actually. You actually can have it much, much longer. But Your whole life. At the time, I kind of felt like, uh uh-oh, I've got a, this is a use-or-lose-it sort of situation, and I'm not using it, and I have a limited window. So I was feeling a lot of pressure. I remember at one of the therapy sessions, I told the therapist, I want to have sex twice a day. And that's because, well, you are skipping the fact that you were having serial affairs for many years. So it's you so really true. do have to. Oh, wait, guys, back up. Back yeah. Up. yeah, right. I know I was kind of glossed over whoa, 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 that whoa, whoa, whoa. part. <laughs> Reverse, Daddy O. Reverse. I, I never in- interrupt anyone like that until <laughs> right this second. Back the heck up, Tim, and tell me about <laughs> these affairs. <laughs> well, so we, we'd already talked about the fact that I was doing all the things, begging, pleading, cajoling, and at some point, was probably seven to eight years in, I, I had always been faithful. I had always been faithful to Susan. I had always been faithful to all of my other girlfriends previously. I n- never thought I would cheat. I never thought that anybody, I always thought that, you know, people that were cheaters were just horrible people and bad, they were liars. And then I got to the point in my relationship where I knew I was making Susan miserable. She was so unhappy that we weren't having sex and I didn't know how to fix it. And I had all these ideas about what might be causing it, none of which, of course, were me. And (laughs) I said, well... I need to just quit making her miserable and just go get my needs met and quit bothering her because this is obviously making her miserable. I didn't want to get divorced. I didn't want to break up her home. I just needed to get laid. I needed to get my needs met. And after, well, probably at that point, maybe like four years of us not Mm -hmm. really having good sex. In retrospect, I think it was a really good coping mechanism. Because it allowed him to stay married. He loved me. He didn't want to leave me. He just wanted me to want him. And I didn't want him because, and this is just so classic. I don't know. Joe, have you heard about the orgasm gap? Have you heard that phrase, the orgasm gap? 
No, but I want to know everything about it. <laughs> well, what it basically is, I think it's a TED Talk, actually, from a book, but it's this idea that it's very easy for the masculine to achieve orgasm from intercourse and much, much more rare and difficult for the feminine to. And in retrospect, it's because we've been making love the way men need to be made love to, and we've been focused on how fast he wants to do it versus how long it takes us as women to get turned on and fully aroused. And and we were just having sex so fast, and we didn't know what we didn't know. And intercourse wasn't good for me. I'd never... I was 42 years old before I had an orgasm from intercourse with my husband. We literally had to go learn how to do it. But see, they were going to marriage therapists and not sex therapists. There is a difference here. And the first marriage therapist said, hey, maybe you should just assume that sex now isn't going to be as good as sex was when you were 18 years old. You've been married a while. You're a little bit older. You have children. He said, we're not going back to that one. And we got a different therapist who's, who said, who, who at the time, he was having this affair with a woman and he was having sex with her multiple times a week. And she was in a sexless marriage and he felt he was in a sexless marriage. And so she was trying to get him to divorce me and marry her. And she was saying to him, you should be getting sex twice a day. So he was going into the therapist and saying, I need sex twice a day. And the therapist was like, mm, maybe you're a sex addict. Oh, that was so bad. Because she had sex addict training. So, you know, <laughs> if, if, everything, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. She made him go to sex addiction meetings. And he came back and he's like, I'm not a sex addict. I just want, I just want my wife to want to have sex with me. Yep. Yeah, that meeting was so crazy. I know. I it felt was bad un- for you. Unbelievable. They were so determined to make this work. They did what anyone would do. They bought book after book about intimacy and passion and sex. Then they did what a lot of people can't do because of geographic proximity. They went to a bunch of sex workshops, which are absolutely a thing that I did not know anything about until this episode. Always learning new things uncommitted. That's how we've always approached everything. If we don't understand it, first we go to Amazon and buy some books, and then we talk to people and try to figure it out because we just know we're just dumb and we don't know what we're doing. So that's when everything pivoted for us. Yeah, it really started. That that was the bottom. And I remember I was so surprised at how much shame I felt when I realized my husband had been having an affair to cope with me not wanting to have sex with him. And so I was very conflicted because I was pissed at him, but I didn't want to lose him. And I loved him and I felt like a failure. And this therapist said, oh, sweetie, he didn't have that affair to hurt you. He had that affair to cope with the situation. You've got to forgive him. Don't kick him out. Try again. Go learn how to make love with each other. And that was really the moment that was pivotal for us. Pivotal, yeah, that was pivotal for us. It was the best advice we got from anybody was. Yeah. And that's what I found over and over again is that when people run into problems in their sex life, it's mostly just that they don't have good ideas about what to do. And, and where, where would you learn? Where do you learn? You learn from your parents? Well, no. they, they didn't know either. No, people are always so mad at their parents. My parents were always, my parents were terrible role models. You know, it's not your parents' job to teach you how to have sex. That's your job. That's your personal growth, you know? (laughs) Yeah, 
so that was a pivotal moment. We started going to sex workshops and oh my God, they were so edgy. But wow, did that almost instantly make us good in bed. We started, I started having fantastic orgasms. You decided to let your girlfriend go and come back to me. And it was like a renaissance of our relationship. We just absolutely blossomed at yes. that time. It's true. Yeah. For me, the biggest thing was I learned how to give Susan orgasms. Yeah. <laughs> really good ones. Yeah. And that's when things really got better. And that's when we really started to turn things around. Because it turns out, we learned a lot of things. We went to Tantra workshops. We were so lucky to be in San Francisco. Being in Silicon Valley, we're right next to San Francisco. And right around the mid-2000s, 2005, 2006, there were a lot of workshops that were available. Tantra workshops that probably the biggest one was the Expanded Orgasm Workshop. So we learned how to make love. And that was the, that was the big moment. Now, for listeners and for me who have never been to a sex workshop, what is a sex workshop? What I, you know, I hear words like tantra and orgasm and you know, sexual massage, but what do you actually do? Are there other couples there? Are you do what? What are you doing in? Are you in a room? What you just set it all up for me? Sure. Usually you're in a workshop space. Usually you're naked in a lot of them. It's take the clothes out. Usually there's 20 to 60 people of all ages, 20s to 70s. It's usually gender balanced. Gender balanced. So 50% men, 50% women. XXXY, any, any gender expression, but XXXY balanced. And, and by that I mean the chromosome, XX. Female, XY, male, male chromosome. It doesn't matter what your gender expression is. You talk things through. Sometimes it's let's look at everybody's penis and let's look at everybody's vulva who's willing to show their equipment. Sometimes it's full body touch or showering together. Trying to break down the barriers and the programming that our bodies are bad or that our genitals are ugly and or that we're undesirable. So moving from all the body image issues and the, Im- the fears of imperfection and ageism and it, your equipment doesn't look right and, and all those kinds of things to a more healthy approach to the fact that we're all just human beings in these little meat packages that all want love and connection and pleasure. So it brings you back to your essential self through most of the the workshops. One of the things I remember that was really big for you, and I think it is for a lot of women, to see, to be in a room with 50 other naked women Mm -hmm. and see how all their bodies are so different, but they're all beautiful. Mm -hmm. And none of them look like the covers of the magazines that you see, that you hold yourself up against as the standard. I think that's a huge breakthrough. That was helpful. To realize that real women actually don't look like they do in the magazines and that you are beautiful and that you don't have to have that shame. I think there's some kind of shame or fear that women have. The body body image issues. Uh, For a lot of women, I think being in the sex workshop, that's probably one of their biggest breakthroughs. Yeah, I'd agree. 
So they're amazing, but they're super edgy. Oh. <laughs> when we would drive, we'd be on our way driving to a sex workshop. I would have to get out of the car and jump around and have a meltdown and freak out and barely be able to get back in the car to go there. I know. There were so many times when... So, so edgy. <laughs> but I forced myself to do it. And through that forcing, it, it was so much growth. So much good growth. Yeah. I, I would have to take a shot of tequila. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people do. <laughs> Time for a quick break. When we get back, Tim and Susan turn everything that they learned about their new and amazing sex life into a brand new career. Hey, guys. Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. So you guys are, you're doing these workshops and it's working. All of a sudden you're having sex again. The sex was really the problem, the only problem in your relationship. How did you guys then transition into deciding, oh, we want to do more of this. In fact, we want this to be our career. We realized that we'd fallen so much in love with each other that we, we wanted to take this notion of the workshops and have workshops in a box, if you will, workshops digitally delivered online to anyone anywhere in the world so that people didn't have to spend, I mean, we probably spent $30,000 on workshops and therapy and people don't have that much money. So we decided to start a company together called Personal Life Media 15 years ago this month. We started out more in personal growth, but our sex stuff was so popular that we got the courage over time to just be like, well, we're not going to be doing all this other stuff. We're just going to focus on the sex stuff because that's what people really want from us. They want, how do you transform having sex into making love? How do you have heart-connected, passionate lovemaking? What are the techniques? What are the orgasm skills? What are the bedroom communication skills? How can we teach people, how can we give them little things that make it super good for them to get the kind of intimacy, connection, passion, and pleasure they're looking for. And 15 years later, here we are. There's no way a guy from, let's say, you come from Iowa and you're going to fly to San Francisco and then get your wife to take her clothes off in front of 50 other people and do a sex workshop. It's just not happening. Mm -hmm. So we thought, well, we can take all of this content all of these great people that these leaders, these workshop leaders, these people that have the knowledge and make the workshops digital. And that way, people from 
all over the world can access it. And you don't have to get on a plane. We can sell these courses for $97 or $197. And anybody can access it anywhere in the world in their in the privacy of their own home. Yeah. Makes it much more approachable and much easier for people to get access to that information. What were the bumps? Or were there any bumps along the way? Maybe there's no bumps once you're finally having extended orgasms and really great sex. I would say for us... We've worked really well together. Tim mm-hmm. and I are very complementary in our personalities. He's very analytical, really good with numbers, technology, the finance side of things. He's exacting. And I'm much more, here's the constellation of experiences we need to create for people. And I'm the, the one who is always focused on, okay, what's the cash flow? How are we getting the money in? How are we generating the revenue? What's the, what are the three things we need to work on to improve our revenue for the company? So we've just had a great time running our business together. And he's supported me in growing into all of my roles. When I started, I wasn't, I wasn't a sexpert 15 years ago. I was a novice supporting and publishing the work of other people. But over the last 15 years, I've helped thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people, millions of people with our content and answering questions and, and, and just helping people break through the obstacles. People get, they, they run up against a wall. They don't know what to do. And they just stop being intimate. They just stop touching each other. They stop connecting and hugging because they're afraid to start something that they don't want to finish. Yeah, and they walk on eggshells around each other and then it just gets worse. Yeah. Well, that was a big, that was a big pivot for us was the radical honesty stuff. Mm-hmm. We were so used to the, our society teaches us to withhold, stuff our feelings, overlook, work around, you know, anything but just addressing the real, tr- our real truth. And when we started telling each other the truth, our relationship got really interesting and juicy. And one of the difficult things about telling the truth is you're actually, the hard part about telling the truth isn't telling the truth about the other person. It's it's your own truths and your own pettiness and all of your own weird junk you're carrying around. Understanding what Tim wants out of our relationship and what I want out of our relationship and that they're different. And that if he knows what I want, and I know what he wants, and he gets up every day and focuses on giving me the things that make me feel good in our relationship, and I do the same for him, that we end up feeling like we're in the perfect relationship together. And I went on to write the book Relationship Magic, that we've had hundreds of thousands of downloads of that that little workbook to help people understand. Okay, oh, now I understand why you're treating me this way. That's what you want. Oh, I totally get your behavior now. It's just so interesting once you find out what you really want in a relationship and you tell your partner and they just give you that. It's, oh, everything just starts to work. And from the guy's standpoint, if I know what Susan wants, I don't have to guess anymore. And I've maybe guessed for a decade and I guessed wrong most of the time. But now I had a cheat sheet of the top four things that she wants. And if I just focus on those, my life is so much easier. And mine is so much better. And I'm in a perfect relationship with my partner now. Perfect is such a strong word. It's, and to me, it's a scary word because anyone in a perfect relationship, it, did fixing this sex stuff really make your relationship perfect? Being truthful and fixing our sex stuff and knowing what the other person wanted really fixed our relationship. Perfect is no matter what happens, we will figure it out. That's what perfect is. 
Perfect is we'll talk honestly and openly about any issues we have and support each other through whatever happens with us. You know, we also became poly halfway through our relationship. We've been together 30 years this year in November. And halfway through when we started having great sex, we said, oh, we should have sex with some other people too. This will be fun. And that was the beginning of becoming a polyamorous couple, a successful, a highly functioning, successful polyamorous couple. And for the last 15 years, we've had additional partners in our relationship. Guys, you keep burying the leads. Oh, that's right. I mean, first the affairs and now the poly. So let's back up again. (laughs) (laughs) Got to pay attention. Don't let that stuff just slip by. (laughs) Okay, we're going to take a pause here. Because like I said in the beginning of this episode, Susan and Tim just kept throwing me curveball after curveball, but I loved it. I loved it because I just adore being surprised. Not enough people surprise me anymore. But we're going to take a quickie break to digest this, and then we are going to get to see how Tim and Susan opened up their marriage. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Tell me what it was like to open up your relationship to, to other people. And how do you have a successful poly relationship? I know there are a lot of successful poly relationships, but there are just as many that, that don't end well. So how has this worked for you guys? Well, I would say that the, the best thing about being in a poly relationship. And it's interesting because we have a daughter who's 24 years old and and she knows we're poly. Although she didn't. For a long, long time. Maybe until a couple of years ago. Yeah. Well, a couple of years ago, she said, are you in an, are you a dad in an open relationship? And we, and I said, yeah. And she said, okay. And that was it. I think that was (laughs) the first time she even had an inkling. We're not really that interesting to her, it turns out. (laughs) (laughs) Your kids are loving their own life. They don't really care about that, what you're doing that much, as long as it's not bothering them, you know. But just recently, we spent the last couple months with her and our current partners. We're in relationship with another woman and another man. And we're all in relationship together right now. And it's, to me, the most satisfying time of our polyness that we've ever had. Yeah, I agree. 15 years of practice, we've gotten 
pretty good at it, but it's still edgy. Oh, yeah. We still ha we still have issues. We still struggle, all four of us, in our various ways. I mean, once you add more people in, there's just more emotion to process, etc. But generally, it's the most fulfilling and wonderful time of our lives. But we've had some tough times. I mean, I'd, I'd say the, the lowlights of our poly, the first time you saw me having sex with another guy. Oh, yeah. And it crushed you. It did. It wounded you. It did, especially because he was doing a much better job <laughs> than I did yeah. at that time. And so this was still pretty early on. Yeah, it was the first time. Didn't really have those moves down. I had to learn those later. But the first time I saw Susan making love with another guy... Mm -hmm. And I realized, I was watching, and I, I thought, oh, well, nor normally about this time she'd be done. She wouldn't want any more than this. And it's, she really wants this. She's <laughs> en enjoying this a lot. And I realized. And I was like, finally! Ah, <laughs> oh, this is what I want! <laughs> and then it sunk in that he's doing a much better job than I do. Mm. Oh, oh, God, it was horrible. <laughs> I watched you mope around for about 10 days. I was wondering if you were going to be able to get over it. It was so sad. Timmy was crushed. Yes, but like you do, when you hit adversity, you're just like, uh-uh, this is what we do. Every time we get beat down, and believe me, we've been down many times together, we just team sweetie. We call ourselves team sweetie. Yeah. And we just regroup, support each other through it, and and work through whatever it is. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's probably one. Uh, there's so many factors of what makes a poly relationship successful. Mm -hmm. But one of them for sure is you have to be willing to step it up. You have to be willing to say, okay, here's a place where I'm deficient. I can fix this. And I have to be willing to do what it takes to take care of whatever that issue is. In that case, I, it was a gift ultimately to see that I could get better. That there are some yeah. things I could do that would really bring Susan a lot more pleasure doing the thing that I love to do. So I could, it was, it was a gift to see that and know that it was possible to do better. Well, and one of Tim's top four relationship values is growth. And so, so he's, he's got a good personality for being in poly because poly is all about growth. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And processing and communication and yeah, it's kind of like relationship grad school. It's not easy. It's not for beginners. You have to have a really solid primary relationship yeah. a lot of people get into it thinking oh this will fix our relationship it'll it will absolutely not fix your relationship <laughs> it will challenge you in many ways that if you were just monogamous you would never have to deal with yeah. it's much much harder it's not just twice as hard it's exponentially harder then why then why do it it's also exponentially more rewarding yeah it's just such a pleasure it's so nice to love and to be sexy with more people. I mean, after 30 years, we so we we made love last night. We did. It was fantastic. Huzzah. I'm literally I literally <laughs> had to sleep in a little bit this morning just because <laughs> I had so many great orgasms last night. So many great. Oh, it was fantastic. It was so good. I mean, I I would look I would look at the lovemaking we had last night as one of the best lovemaking experiences we've ever had in our life. It was it was exemplary. It was incredible. And that's 30 years. 
However, it also can get boring to have sex only with one person for 30 years. Add to that the fact that I'm a sexpert and my job is to understand deeply what our sexual possibilities are. And, you know, one of the things I've been working on this summer is writing a 15-week orgasm challenge for people who want to learn how to have the 20 different kinds of orgasms our bodies are able to have, both male and female, XX and XY bodies can have 20 kinds of orgasms and one of them's wild card. So it's literally unlimited, but I wanted to I wanted to document all the kinds of orgasms people could have so that they could start having them because they're all learned skills. This is this is so important. You know, we you can either choose to keep learning and growing in your sex life or not. Mm. That's your choice. We choose to keep learning. But there are also some super lonely times with Polly. And one of them was that I got COVID in we both got COVID March of 2020. And you bounced back, but I ended up as a long hauler. And you had recently met a beautiful woman, beautiful inside, outside, everything about her is fantastic, and in January of that year. And they ended up really falling in love while I laid in the other room with COVID trying to recover. They took care of me and nursed me through, but I listened to them falling in love and making love and she was getting all the orgasms because I was too sick to get them. That was very, very painful for me at the same time that it was, it made me really, really happy that my husband and our girlfriend were falling in love and having, she was, he was opening her to her orgasmic potential. He was getting to show off his skills and she was eternally and is eternally grateful for the pleasure that he's showed her how to have. And so you have to learn to hold all your own sadness and longing and feeling excluded with your pleasure for your partners and their joy and their growth. And that's been challenging, but I did it. I'm doing it. It's good. I'm okay. And I'm getting healthier. And like I said, having a great time with my husband still. What rules did you set up before you went into poly to try to make it successful? And you just said that your husband was falling in love. Did you have rules against falling in love? Are you ever terrified of losing each other? I'm never terrified of losing Tim. Never. I, we're not. We are a thing. The th- We're the thing. The 30 years is utterly irreplaceable. There's nobody that could ever even touch that. But when we started 15 years ago, we didn't know. We didn't have any rules. We were kind of doing the thing that I think most people would consider to be swingers, which we quickly realized was not for us. It's a little bit disconnected and soulless and a little like porny, not really heart connected. And also STIs. Well, there's that We're too. Super worried about STIs. Yeah. We, we keep a very low profile. If we make love with someone, we really want them to be with us for a long time. And we want to make sure we're not going to give or get anything to anybody. We, re- we recently had a girlfriend last year we had to exclude because her new boyfriend had hep C. And though he said he was recovered, we're like, mm, we're just not going to take the risks. We love you. Enjoy your boyfriend. We're taking a break. 
that that is one of the so yeah we so we tried the various iterations of poly there are so many iterations and i think some of them are much more difficult to keep going in the long term where it it really becomes the there's a lot of people that have kind of like a don't ask don't tell sort of version which clearly doesn't work because you're not telling the truth or you're just hiding things i don't think that works very well the other versions are having separate lovers where you don't meet the people but you know that they have other people but you don't meet them and i don't think that works very well so we we tried all these different variations but ultimately we were lucky enough to meet a group in Marin, Marin, California, which you kind of think of as like the epicenter of this whole new age Tantra movement. And this group introduced us to this notion of a pod, a polypod, which is a very tightly controlled, it's sometimes also called a screening group. Or a fluid bonded group. Or a fluid bonded group, where it's... I call it a monogapod. It's you're monogamous to the pod. So obviously you're not in a monogamous relationship where it's just one person, but you are, but you are monogamous to your group, and you have everybody do STD tests, a full panel of STD tests, mm -hmm. and then they have to agree. We actually have a contract for this to put it in writing. They have to agree to be monogamous to the pod and they're not going to have any other lovers outside of the pod and as you can imagine that pod itself needs to be pretty small you need to be it can be three people or four people once it gets beyond that it gets a little unwieldy it becomes so unwieldy because they have somebody outside or they have a they have a fling or they have a one night stand with somebody and then they're out right yeah. they've got to be out and then wait because you need to wait about three months for all your std tests to, for your body to develop the antibodies so that you can take the test and they'll be accurate. So you can't just be in and out of the pod all the time. It's a commitment. You have yeah. to be committed to the pod. I that, would like to say, too, that what we call ourselves, and is, is a term that you might be hearing more and more, is kitchen table poly. Oh, I never heard that before. You never heard that before? What, what is that? That's so cute. I'm <laughs> on the cutting edge day. <laughs> kitchen table poly is what we are, which is, you know how we have, I'm literally looking at our dining room table and remembering that last week we were having dinner with our our lovers and our child and her boyfriend mm -hmm. and the six of us were sitting around having family dinners yeah so kitchen table poly is you're all together you eat together you cook together you hang out together you travel together you are partners you're monogamous partners in a small group and it includes loving your partners your partners loving your family your family loving your partners it's just very loving it's very supportive yeah yeah, it was funny. Our, our we asked our daughter. I forgot how it came up, but how like how she felt about it mm -hmm. because we really hadn't talked with her much until this summer. And at twenty four, we felt she could handle it. Yeah, and she said it's fun. I like it. It's more interesting to have these other amazing people around. Yeah, it's just fun to be with all of you. I like it. I do want to close off in the conversation with just holding people holding people's hearts who are listening that they don't need to be doing what we're doing. Yeah, and one of the things that I also want to say about it is that if you're listening to us now on this podcast and you're thinking to yourself, 
wow, this really triggers me, or I would never do this, or this is against my, my value system, or they're probably freaks, or whatever you're thinking, whatever, whatever judgments or shame or upset might be coming up for you and us talking about this, those are very reasonable responses. Right. And I, we don't talk about our poly. We, I said to Tim this morning, I think I want to talk to Joe about this today because we do a good job of it. And it's, it, it, it's never, it's not always easy, but it, it, it suits us. And you don't have to be poly. And I, and, and us sharing what we do is just what we do. You can have whatever you want in your relationship. And for most people, having a passionate, monogamous relationship with deep connection and joy and pleasure is more than enough. And really, that's what we're focused on externally. We shared our private life today on this episode. But what we really want to do and our mission and what we get up every day to work on is to teach people how to transform having sex into making love. To teach primarily heterosexual, monogamous people with fairly vanilla sex. Vanilla sex is fabulous. And that's what we focus on. We, we don't need you to do kinky stuff. We don't need you to be poly. We don't need any of that stuff. We just want you to have more pleasure, co-create more pleasure and connection and do that for the rest of your lives. Stay mm. healthy. Have your genitals in good working order. Enjoy the pleasure of each other. Give each other tons of orgasms. That That's really what our mission is. Mm. So though our personal life, we push ourselves out to the edges more. We don't, we don't ever expect anyone else to do that or embrace that unless it's something that they want. Not all of us are brave enough to go to a sex therapist. And if I am being honest, and I'm always honest on this show, I don't know if I could go into a room with 50 strangers and take off my clothes. I don't know. I don't think, I, you know, I think my husband might be okay with it, but I think I would feel weird. I would. So I wanted to ask Susan what she'd say to couples or individuals, people who... Maybe they're not happy with their marriage or sex lives, or maybe they just think those things could be better, but they are too nervous to go to a sex therapist or a sex workshop. Understand what it is that you want out of a relationship versus your partner, so that whether you're single and, you're, and you want to attract a person who can satisfy you, or you're with a partner who really just needs to understand what you want, you getting clear on that and being able to communicate it to them gives them the cheat cheat sheet to your happiness. So I think that's very important. And then the third piece is considering having an expanded orgasm practice. We teach you what that is with some free reports at expandherorgasmtonight.com. And I think it is the Rosetta Stone for a long-term, very happy, very satisfying 
sexual relationship between partners. Putting attention on a woman's orgasm and taking her into expanded orgasmic experiences just helps her cross that gasm chasm, have orgasms from intercourse, and, and move into being a massively orgasmic human being. We all have the potential within us. And learning how to do that, how to deliver that sensation and receive that sensation and stay in that sensation together, connects you at a level, a limbic level, that you feel like you merge as one. So taking the three things that were the pivotal experiences for us and giving you an opportunity to find out more about those, that's, that's why we are so happy to be here on the show today, is to just let other people know that these paths are available to This episode of Committed was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza. A very special thanks to Susan and Tim Bratton. Supervising producer is Ramsey Yunt. The executive producers are Joe Piazza and Tyler Klang. Theme song and music by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. Or send us an email at Joe at committedpodcast.com. That's J-O at committedpodcast.com. You can grab a copy of Joe's book, How to Be Married, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book.